Hey, Soul Sisters. In today's podcast, I talked to a very dear friend of mine, Juan, down in New York City, and I have to apologize. The sound from my microphone oftentimes is not very good, though Juan's is absolutely awesome. Uh, If you stick around for the entire episode, you're going to hear a little more about awesome. Juan is a very accomplished Ironman, long-distance duathlete, many-time New York and Boston uh, marathon finisher, and just a really great guy that gives us a bit of advice and shares some stories, um, some things that we actually learned while racing. So I hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you again, Juan. You were awesome. Thank you so much for joining me um, on the Soul Sisters podcast. The reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is I like telling stories and I like talking about races and some of my favorite running, well, actually racing memories involve you. And there's one in particular that I've told lots of folks when I'm um, giving advice about, you know, how to do your first marathon or or just really any, any talk I give that involves a marathon, I used to bring you up. Uh, and so people have heard my version, but I'm just curious if you would tell the Soul Sisters your version of our awesome story. And I'll probably interrupt because, you know, that's what I do. Sure, sure. That was, uh, I forget the year, what marathon, that was New York City Marathon, obviously, but uh, yeah, I, you remember I, I the guess, year? I'm going to say it was somewhere between 2006 and 2010. I'm really confident it's one of those yeah, four. Probably, uh, around 2010 I, I would probably i would guess but uh i remember we weren't running it very fast we were just running it um together right we ran the entire yeah. thing together yeah but the sad thing Juan, is we weren't going fast but i'm confident our time was probably around three and a half and boy now i'd be like woo three and a half hour marathon anyway i digress but yeah we were we were doing it because we just wanted to do the marathon but we weren't out to get a particular yeah. time yep and and we were, uh, I guess uh, at some point I probably said let's let's be positive, let's just say positive things <laughs> no, all, no. all the way. No, I, yeah. I, count, I thought I could count on you to tell the story right, but I'm gonna have to set the stage and then. Well, and then... whatever. No, we're we're saying let's do positive things, and then you said. No, uh, no and then we I, were. I, then I asked you. I asked you, Stacy, how do you feel? It was around mile twenty or something like that. We hadn't said okay. we were going to be positive. I was in a sour mood all of a sudden. I think I was bonking or I just needed to eat and I was a little angry. And if you had said, let's be positive, I didn't hear that because I, I couldn't hear it. So I was, I was just right. being a little grouchy. So it was like just a silly conversation. And I said, uh, um, how do you feel, Stacy? And you said, <laughs> you said, well, well. And I probably gave it, you a whole big, big long thing about how on, my, my hip hurts and my calf hurts and my, <laughs> and my shin has hurt. And you're like I'm just hungry. complaining about all the things that hurt. And <laughs> I looked at you. I was like, no, Stacy, how do you feel? Like, yeah. I guess hinting you that we need to be positive. And then I you said, oh. I wasn't catching that hint. I wasn't. I mean, I recall you several times asking how I felt, and I was getting madder because you weren't paying attention to how bad I was feeling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I looked at you. I said, no, how do you feel? And then you said, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be positive. Okay, so 
uh, awesome. I feel awesome. I was like, yeah, you feel awesome. Yeah, I feel awesome too. So then we just got a little crazy saying awesome and awesome and awesome to the point that to the point (laughs) to the point that we started laughing about saying awesome. I guess we were were delirious in mile 23 of the marathon. And then uh, and then suddenly we were yelling awesome and saying we feel awesome. And then suddenly like all the pains that you had, which you had verified just like a few minutes ago, all the pains that you had were totally gone. And yes. and I was and I I also was feeling like really, really great. And then we just uh we had zero pain and we were feeling really, really good. And I remember thinking, because you know, positive affirmations uh yeah are a strong thing and everybody has talked about it all the coaches that we've ever dealt with talk about it but you you kind of uh acknowledge it but you don't really believe it uh 100 and that was like a revelation to us right because we were like oh my god oh my god this is incredible it was an incredible thing I can't believe you did that. I gave it all all the credit to you. I was like, he's worked some kind of crazy magic. I mean, I went from being so angry at you because you weren't acknowledging that I was in distress. You kept saying I was doing great. And, and I was like, no. And then we started saying that crazy, awesome thing. And then I honestly felt awesome. And I took that, that knowledge and I tried it in a bunch of other races um, because it, cause I really believed it worked. Because for our next 5K, I... I felt great. I, I mean, for lack of a better word, I really felt awesome. But yeah. I, learned, I learned a couple of things. I learned that you can say inside your head, I, you know, I'm doing awesome. I feel awesome, especially when you're not. And you can say it and say it. And it does not have the same power as when you say it out loud. And I think that was the breakthrough. You actually have to say it. So I've been the crazy lady in races who's been like, um, awesome. Awesome. I, I don't feel comfortable saying I feel awesome out loud in races. So instead I would tell other people, you're doing awesome. You're so awesome. We're yeah. awesome. We're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to replicate the, uh, the feeling. Yeah. The magic. The magic. Think, uh, you know, yeah. and it, it yeah. did work because I told this story at the around the bay, which is a, a race here in Canada that's actually two or three years older than the Boston Marathon. And I told that story. And for the entire time that I was telling the story, because I like to tell a long story, I felt pretty awesome. So it's, it's that magic still works. And that, that was because of you. And Juan, I, I think that's probably the first time that you ever taught me something about racing. I gave you salt. I gave you salt at the Boston Marathon once, Stacy. I think that's uh, I saved your okay. marathon, right? So okay, my my apology. I, I was thinking about that. <laughs> I remember the photo for anyone that did the Boston Marathon in 2012. It was the year that you could defer to the following year because it was so ridiculously hot, and you did have a that huge bag of sunflower seeds, and that was amazing. Is there a so just thinking about, you know, you as this wise, <laughs> wise sage of running, do you have, um, do you have any other things that you've learned over the years that you'd be willing to, to share with our listeners? You're positive living through COVID. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you're a positive thinker, like life is just uh, generally easier and things go better than if you're always obsessed about the negative. So that's something that, you know, definitely through running and, through many other aspects in life, uh, I think it's important. 
And I, I want to say, uh, just knowing that we were going to have this podcast, I looked up the uh, the only book I've ever bought uh, about running, which was Magical Running by uh, okay. Bobby Bobby McGee, right? That uh, I think he gave yeah. a seminar in New York. And I was like, all right, I'll buy the book. And it's actually, uh, it's a pretty good book. And it talks about positive affirmations and just like when you hit a hill, you know, rather than saying, I hate hills, this is like such a long hill. You say you, you convert that into something positive, like, uh, like, uh, you know, hills challenge me and I, I'm feeling yeah. my legs. I like, uh, I like the extra work, you know, it's, it's going to build up my legs. It's going to make me stronger. Um, the other thing uh, I remember from that seminar that he gave to us, and, and Bobby McGee, I don't think enough people talk about him now because he blew me away, was that when you're in pain, don't disassociate. He said to embrace the pain, acknowledge the pain of running, but don't don't let it stop what you're doing. But don't also be like, oh, there's no pain because there is pain. And then, hello, welcome pain, and then move on. So, Oh yeah, exactly. That's where I, yeah, I remember that. I thought it was some Kenyan runner, right? That said, uh, <laughs> that said, when 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 he that he embraces the pain that it's the pain is there, and he expected the pain to come, yeah. and it just means like you're doing a good marathon because you know yeah. it's not a surprise. Fast running's hard, or or yeah. you know marathons are hard. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, rather than fight the pain, just embrace it and uh, and welcome it. The other thing I, that I've learned through the years, right, about running is is that the environment you choose makes all the difference in, in reaching the goals, right? Like we we met because we both joined a triathlon club in New York City, right, Asphalt Green, and uh, and I think you know eventually we we started doing triathlons and uh, and. And, uh, you know, to the point that we've done the Ironman triathlon, right? Which, uh, which in yeah. other contexts outside of the club would seem an impossible endeavor, right? We would never, you know, with our other friends that are just going to the bars yeah. after work and hanging out and, uh, you know, not necessarily being, uh, psychotic, uh, <laughs> athletes, um, <laughs> And we did that in New York City. Like that, just just as you're talking, it just occurred to me. We were so busy and we had so much going on and we lived in this, you know, concrete jungle and we had beautiful places to train. So I don't want to, you know, misremember that. But the fact that we trained for an Ironman in the middle of New York City, wow, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, we did. We, I mean, we were lucky to uh, have joined that club. And then uh, it, I, I look at it, you know, it's a, it's a life lesson that if you want to do great things, hang out with people that do great things. Um, I think doing an Ironman or thinking about doing an Ironman is nearly like an impossible endeavor if you're just, uh, if you're not hanging out with people that have done it, right? And after, yeah. after you do a number of workouts with them and you go cycling with them and you go running with them, you say, you know, these guys are human. They're, it's nothing uh, out of the ordinary. And if and if this guy can do it, I'm sure I can do it too. And that's just yeah. exactly what you need to do it. So if you're hanging out with people that uh, have climbed Mount Everest, right, many times, then you're probably going to end up climbing Mount Everest. 
the one of the things I remember is I don't, I don't know if we ever raced each other because all my memories and, you know, I'm getting older. I'm not as old as you. Um, but all my memories are of us doing races and we always did better than we should have done um, because we weren't flat out racing. We weren't jogging either. We were, we were doing some weird, I don't know, almost racing, not quite. Um, but there was this one half marathon that we did and, and I think it was in Queens and I wasn't trying to speed up, but you said to me, you're speeding up because that girl up there is wearing a skirt. And it was true. I was like, we're not racing, but we're also not going to get beat by a girl in a skirt. And That's I had right. some kind of crazy, some kind of crazy idea. Like I'm so different now, but but the idea that I wasn't going to let a girl in a skirt beat me is just well, it's stupid. But it also might be that you know I'm also competitive, and I could tell it was a girl, and we had to go. So we did. I know we sped up and we passed her, and I thought I will never race in a skirt. And fast forward a few years after I moved to Canada, my fastest Boston, my um, 305 in Boston was done in a skirt. So uh, don't ever think you're one way because you're going to change. You're probably going to be wrong. And I apologize to Nicole DeBoom when she was at Boston with her skirt sports because I was like, I hated skirts. I thought running in skirts was terrible. And um, I love it now. So the last time I saw you in person, which just makes me sad because, you know, there's no little current environment obviously we're not traveling but I had this amazing plan that for your 50th birthday we would run a, a half marathon because hey that's no big deal we used to just do a marathon so we just do a half marathon that's right which it was like a terrible 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 it idea it was the worst yes. idea you could and, possibly have yes yes and you know what Juan to be fair I'm full of terrible ideas and I thought that in January uh going out and drinking and um drinking with you and for your 50th and then going and running a half like a couple hours later made all kinds of sense and it didn't and it got even worse because my stupid phone wasn't working so it was the worst weather it That's was right. it was almost you were staying it reminded me you did everything wrong. You stayed in, you stayed at our friend's house in Bushwick, which was like an hour away in the subway. Then you wanted to get back into New York City for a 7 a.m. start uh, half marathon. Oh, so you had to get up and at like 4.30. And then... Uh, yeah, well, that, that's not a big deal. I wake up early. It was the food poisoning the night before that um, really did me in, you know, the kind of food poisoning that's coming out both ends. Anyway, I make it to the race <laughs> and it's raining, it, but it's, it's freezing rain. It's, it's, it, it's, thir- it it's, like the it's 33 degrees Fahrenheit, just enough so that it's not snow and uh, that's it's right. freezing rain. And, yeah, it's the worst weather so, possible. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, we didn't meet up. So I made this man. I was like, you have got to come do this race. I'm coming all the way down from Canada for your 50th birthday. You're going to do this because we have all these amazing memories of us doing races. And we never met up because I kept reaching out to you. You weren't getting my messages. I couldn't get yours. I borrowed somebody's phone, called you, still didn't work. Anyway, right. I went back to Bushwick, and I think I went back to Canada, and I never saw you, and I made you do that horrible race, um, which I actually really like the Fred LeBeau half. No, was it that? Yeah, that was the one, because we've done that. We did that in um, 2007, right after I'd moved away, and anyway, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was a terrible idea. You, you did everything wrong, and uh, but you know what? The important <laughs> thing is, like, we both got up. 
that morning, sleeping two or three hours into the freezing yeah. rain, and, yeah. and we both ran it. And uh, so, and that certainly helped your hangover because it, you know it sped it through. And we did a half marathon, so yeah. you were fifty years old, hungover, and, and you still were taking butt. And it was a very That's successful funny. successful race because the only the only uh, measure of success I have right now is not getting injured. If I run anything or do anything, I, I don't get injured. It's success. Obviously, there's no racing down in in New York City right now. Um, we're we're really lucky in Nova Scotia in that we have very few COVID cases. So I think I think a lot of folks um, are under the impression that we may be fully vaccinated and we may be able to have some very small races at the end of the year. Um, but I personally am finding it very hard to stay motivated. Are you doing anything? Like, how are you? What's this year like for you, Juan? So, uh, definitely, um, I'm still doing my stair workouts, right? So every week, uh, for the last 12 years, uh, Terrence and I, meet up and we uh we do about 90 story workout in a building in somewhere in manhattan uh, a lot of people listening to this don't have access to a building he just said 90 stories everyone i worked on uh, building the new world trade center so tower one at the world trade center yeah and then uh every- and then i did I mean, uh, that's big. Yeah. hudson yards also uh which okay. is also another that's, that's, hundred story building. So tell everybody that's my friend. And whenever I see the, the new skyline, I always think of you. So, so every week y'all um, you run, walk 90 stories of steps. Do you, what's the, I know, didn't you do that empire state building run up like a bunch of times? Do you still do that? Would you do it if it was happening right now? Or are you just done with that? Yeah, I would do it. Uh, if, I, I don't know how many times I've done it, like three or four times probably. Um, but that's how it started around 12 years ago was the first time we did it and we started doing uh workouts and and then the next year we did it again and we started doing workouts again and we just said that you know stair workouts are really uh so extremely good they're 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 great for obviously developing uh, just about every muscle in your leg and creating uh endurance and it's really low impact even though people find it yeah. hard to believe it's like super low impact there's no canceling for weather that's a that's a positive yeah so they're, they're they're truly fantastic and uh i've i've done them every week for like 12 years and it really helps me when i get back to running if i take a break or whatever i immediately get back on it so the other thing I was thinking for COVID, yeah, I, I kind of, uh, my running's been uh, sparse at times. And uh, yeah. I was thinking the other day that I've always thought running is extremely healing, right? It's like a meditative thing. It's, uh, sure. it makes you feel good. I've, I have the saying also every morning when I get up to uh, go running and I'm laying in bed, I always say, I will, I've never come back from a morning run and regretted doing it. So that's, that gets me out of bed. Um, yeah. So I think uh, I've, I've started running again uh, through COVID and I'm like uh, running four times a week. And it's, oh, wow. uh, it's, it really helps get through this uh, terrible time that we're going through. 
So yeah, okay, as soon as the world gets back to we're, somewhat normal, we're, we're going to have to race uh, again, well, Stacy. No, no, it's not that we have to race some each other, but we I do know. have to race together. Yeah, absolutely. I I'll be planning our, our our race, and if this, you know, you know, I want to get you up to Nova Scotia, so and that will happen, but um, not yeah, this year. So. Definitely want to come visit um, you also. So. We want Juan in Nova Scotia. So Juan, I think um, I think that's enough advice for everyone. Uh, I don't really have anything else to ask you. I mean, if you if you want to tell me anything, you know how much you love me and how you've never found another uh, running partner as much fun. I believe you. But you don't it's have true. to say. It's true. I do miss you. I miss you. <laughs> I miss you a lot. We used to go running in the mornings. I remember. And yeah, uh, I, miss, I, I miss totally that. miss you. Yeah. Like I miss being, you're an Iron Man. You're, um, I don't even know what that SOS, what, what that is, but the, you're a long distance, um, duathlete, Iron Man, many time marathon runner, um, you know, great guy and, and fast where you used to be fast. Now you're, you're older. So, yeah, yeah. um, and so am I, there's no judgment there. It's just reality. Anyway. I look forward to, uh, look forward to visiting you once COVID's over Stacy, and uh and doing some nice races up in canada that'd be great okay so. I'll, start, I'll start picking one for you so thank you for your all time right. juan i really appreciate it and i'll uh i'll be in touch okay all right love you take care right. bye hey soul sisters on friday we'll be launching our third podcast called awesome one and if anyone's heard me speak about marathons locally you've probably heard the story of awesome but Juan was quick to remind me that in fact he has saved more than just one of my marathons he saved my Boston marathon as he says in this little trailer here so anyway listen up on Friday so most of you soul sisters are familiar with a triathlon but maybe not all of you so when I speak about the Ironman, I'm specifically talking about a branded race that is long distance. It covers, and I'm going to be a little bit ambidextrous in my measurement descriptions for both the Americans and Canadians listening. It is a race that is 2.4 miles or 3.8K swimming, followed immediately by 180K cycling or 112 miles, and finishing up with a marathon, which is 26.2 miles or 42 kilometers. Um, so that's a that's a long day, and I'm not sure what the average time is, um, but I can tell you the average marathon times. But anyway, I, I can't tell you an average time, but I can say that to be an Ironman, you have to finish in under 17 hours. So that's continuous exercise. Um, at my best, I averaged around 11 hours for my Ironman races, um, and they were really fun. And for eight years, I was completely obsessed with the Ironman, um, and that race gave me a lot of things. It's the reason I moved to Canada. Uh, it's definitely, <laughs> and that's, I met my husband um, before we, we, either of us had done an Ironman. So it gave me my husband, my new life in Canada, and a whole whack of confidence because as soon as you do or think about doing your first Ironman, there's always this thought, could I get to Kona? And Kona is the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii. And I did get to Kona. I qualified in my, my fourth um, Ironman race. I almost qualified in my third, which I'm going to tell the story about that because I came within five minutes of qualifying for Kona, had no idea I was that good. And I probably would have qualified that year if I'd listened to my friend Eric, who told me he thought I was going to qualify. 
But I thought, no way, I'm not that fast. I'm not that kind of athlete. And it just really shows that what you think matters. Um, And it was the worst race and the greatest vacation I think I've ever had. So I'm going to talk a lot about training, the mental aspect, obviously, of the Ironman, um, some fun stories, and just go back and tell you why for eight years I drank the Kool-Aid and I loved the Ironman. So stay tuned for more of that. When I think about how I trained for the Ironman, I realize the eight Ironman races that I did were probably the only events that I truly trained properly for. And I think that's mostly because before I'd ever done one, I was so afraid of the distance. Now, even though I I do feel I trained properly, I will say that before my first Ironman, I had a really bad bicycle accident. Um, I shattered my scapula and I, I really should have gotten surgery. I had two doctors tell me I needed surgery, but then I finally got a third opinion that said I could get by without having surgery. So what that meant is that I could still do the Ironman. Um, and three months before the Ironman, I was not, I, that's when it happened. I wasn't able to swim uh, unless I floated or did like a one-arm stroke. I was able to, uh, ironically, I was able to run before I could do anything else, which is pretty uh, impactful, but they didn't want me on my bike because I might have fallen off and then made my scapula even worse. So anyway, when I got to the Ironman race, the first one, my biggest concern was would I make it through the swim cutoff? And that was an honest concern because I'm not the strongest swimmer. I am. I'm a pretty good swimmer. Um, I've done a lot of swimming, but I've never been fast. So then taking the ability to train out um, meant I'd be even slower. But the momentum of just doing my first Ironman and of course the washing machine that is the Lake Placid um, Mirror Lake, I guess, is, is the reason I was able to, to finish that first swim with, with no issue about making the swim cut off. And I never had an issue after that. Anyway, I digress. So I was trained, um, and yet I sort of wasn't trained because I had to take a real big break after breaking my scapula. But Overall, I was always trained when I got to the Ironman event, and I think that's why it was really something I was very good at from the beginning and why I absolutely loved it. I think there's something really special about the first time you do something, and my first Ironman was in 2005 in Lake Placid, New York, which is one of the most beautiful places really I think I've ever been. Uh, so picturesque and just a lovely place to do an Ironman, which it's nice when you like the setting because you're out there for, you know, anywhere from the fastest, which would be eight hours, to the slowest, which is 17 hours. So it's, it's a long day. It's really nice to enjoy the scenery. Um, and my first Ironman there was absolutely lovely. My second Ironman was in Penticton uh, out in British Columbia, and that is also just a stunning place to do an event. A very different look, but also just just gorgeous. And then I went back to Lake Placid in 2007, and going to Lake Placid was always this amazing, uh, well, it became an amazing reunion because all of my friends from New York City were also doing the race. So I came down from Nova Scotia, they came up, and I had the race of my life. And for some reason, I wasn't paying attention to the time. So I distinctly remember when I came around the finish, the last 100 meters, looking up and seeing the finish clock, I screamed. I startled the guy that was in front of me, who then sprinted to the line. Um, And I normally try to pass people 
go right up to the line, but I was just shocked. I couldn't believe the time I saw on the clock. And as it turned out, um, and I think I mentioned this before, I was five minutes away from qualifying for the Kona Ironman World Championships. And I was three minutes, it was two or three minutes away from being on the podium because I came in sixth place and they give awards to the top five athletes. So that was just mind boggling that I got that close. And the really neat thing is when I realized I was within five minutes and and my race that year was 11 hours and 18 minutes. So the idea that I was five minutes away from qualifying, it just, um, it changed what I thought. And I realized if I trained and I really focused that I could probably get to Kona. So I spent one year completely obsessed with the Ironman. I would tell anyone that would, you know, ask me what I was up to, what I was training for. And I remember having a conversation with myself um, inside, wasn't outside. And I thought, you know, is it too, is it too like ego to tell people I'm trying to get to Kona? Can, you know, can I say that? Dare I say that? And I just decided that, yeah, I could say I was, was training for it. And even if I didn't qualify, because the thing about qualifying for Kona is it comes down to that day and who you're racing. And it's not like, um, my other really proud accomplishment is that I've run under three hours in the marathon. The Ironman isn't like that. It's not like if I run, you know, if my race is X amount of time, I'm definitely going to get into Kona. I mean, it's likely, but it's not guaranteed. So I decided that for that one year, I would really live the fact that I was close enough that I had the right to try to believe I was good enough to possibly get to Kona. And it just felt amazing. It felt very empowering. And I thought, you know, if I don't qualify, then I, then I'll stop saying I'm trying to qualify. But for one year, I'm in the hunt and I'm good enough to be in the hunt. And like I said, I told everyone, I told everyone, like at the grocery store, at the, well, maybe they didn't ask me, but you, you get the idea. I really did tell the whole world that I wanted to go to Kona. And that is a hard thing to do, to tell people your goals because you feel so vulnerable. But I'll tell you what I discovered. I wasn't actually vulnerable. I had so much support. Once people knew what I was trying to attain, they wanted to help me instead of being, I don't know, judgmental that I'd set such a big goal. So sometimes I like to add a story at the end of the podcast just to see who's still listening. And this one is about the time that I put my foot in my mouth the day after I qualified for the Kona Ironman World Championships. And to be fair, I put my foot in my mouth a lot. I don't mean to, but I do. And this time I was in line at Starbucks and um, I'm sure I must have already had a coffee or I couldn't have been out in the world, but definitely in line to get my second coffee. And it was such a long line. It actually felt like a Tim Hortons line. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And I just started to talk to the woman in line in front of me. And we got to talking about our race. Um, she had asked how, how mine went. And I told her how it actually went really well. But in the last two miles of the marathon, how um, I'd seen my husband. And he, he seemed a little disappointed because I'd come in sixth place the year before. And he had been tracking me all day. And he let me know that I was I was still in sixth place. And, and that basically meant I wasn't going to get to Kona. And, and I, I don't, I'm not saying he was disappointed in me, but he was, he was disappointed. He was visibly 
upset or I read that as disappointed and and I hadn't asked him all day what position I was in even though he had a spreadsheet on the go he knew all the women in front of me he knew the women behind me he knew their speeds from last year so he knew who was a real threat for me anyway I saw him with two miles to go I asked him what place I was in and he told me sixth place just just run it on in and that just run it on in that wasn't like yeah run it on in it was like you know just finish up your marathon darling you you know you did your best I heard that and I took it as this, you don't believe in me. And I got so mad and that madness, that anger, that frustration, that I can't miss this after being so close fueled me. And I went on to pass two women with two miles to go in the race. Now, as it turns out, I didn't know exactly who the women were because you you never know if they're your age group, if the leg is covered or if you can't see the age. Um, and also there's two, it's two loops in, in Lake Placid. So I was, I was, I knew I passed two women, but I, I thought they were in my race. Wasn't sure. As it turns out, it was only one of the women was in my race. But that anger, that whatever fueled me, got me to the line. It got me my qualifier. It got me one place up so that I was on the podium. I was going to Kona. And I'm t- I love to tell a long story. Y'all probably know that from my podcast. And I'm telling this story to the gal in line in front of me. And this is now, what is this? This is almost 13 years ago. So I just can't remember her name. And um, so tell the story. And then she looks at me and she goes, goes, Stacy, and now that got my attention because um, we hadn't exchanged names at this point. She goes, Stacy, yeah, my husband said basically the same thing. You got this. You're going to Kona. And I didn't pick it up. And I just finished the race knowing I was going to Kona. And then you passed me. And I was like, oh my God. Um, that was the big foot that was in my mouth. I can't believe of all the women that I'm telling the story to. So it turns out we had actually, um, been at the same training camp. Uh, I don't, I don't remember ever meeting her, but said that's how she, she knew who I was, or maybe she knew just because she'd looked at the results and was really frustrated. Um, anyway, I believe she did actually end up going to Kona that year. And I'm sure she had an amazing race because she was a phenomenal athlete and very motivated to prove something to, you know, at least her husband, maybe to me, I don't know. Um, But I just felt like, wow, of all the people to tell that story to, and that's just my luck, um, rubbing it in her face, but it ended up being okay. So that's your story, and I'm sticking to it. When I look back on the years that I spent doing the Ironman triathlon, I think I got some of the best friends of my entire life while I was training for that. Still have them. That's why I say the best friends of my entire life. Um, And of course, I I met and married my husband and I moved to this beautiful Nova Scotia, uh, Canada. So I think the Ironman really was It was really special for me, and I just had no idea when I started doing them how important they would be to me or how easy they'd be to sort of let go. And I think I used to tell people that training for an Ironman is a bit like being on a merry-go-round. When you're on it, it's no big deal, but the minute you step off of it, it's really hard to get back on. And I did, um, let's see, Kona, I think, was my what was it? It was my fifth Ironman. uh, And I did three after that, but I really never had the same drive after Kona. Um, I I didn't really care. Uh, I I wasn't trying to qualify because I knew how hard that was. And I also knew how it really wasn't the race for me. It was just 
far too hot. Um, so I, I don't know. I just didn't, I, I kept doing them cause I couldn't let go, but I did finally let go on my eighth Ironman. And it's funny because I have tried to quit the marathon over and over. No, I have quit it. I've quit it for, I don't know, a couple of months, certainly never a year. And I've always meant it in the moment. But when it comes to Ironman, I distinctly remember I finished it at Ironman Canada, which has always been one of my absolute favorite race courses. And for the entire marathon, I had a mantra that you got to be my age to know this. There was a TV show when I was growing up in the 70s called Eight is Enough. And I literally spent the entire marathon uh, saying to myself, eight is enough, eight is enough, eight is enough. And something that I've always meant to do and certainly never done is I retired. I stopped doing Ironman races on the fastest one I've ever done. I mean, that's beautiful. If I had stopped uh, at my fastest marathon, let's see, I would have stopped, oh, 50 marathons ago. So <laughs> I, I don't know. There's something special about the Ironman. So I've really enjoyed talking to you all about it. And um, I recommend if you if you really want to test yourself or try something new, go for it because there's a tagline with the Ironman and it's anything is possible. And you know what? Anything is possible. <laughs>